Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. It's great to be back this week. Joining me in just a few minutes will be Jill Stanek. Her story is incredible. She was actually a registered nurse in the labor and delivery department at a hospital in Illinois when she discovered that abortions were being committed in the hospital and that babies were being aborted alive to die without medical care. We're going to discuss her current project that she's working on, which is a national strategy that you and I can be involved in to help pregnant moms and babies in our local communities. A little later on, we're going to discuss here on Trending some exciting news I have to share with you, as well as talking about St. Anne and Joaquin, but focusing on St. Anne today on her feast day. Those are the parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, and we'll talk about it also, in relation to the topic of praying for a spouse, St. Anne is known as that good saint, dear St. Anne, bring me a man or a spouse if you are a man looking for a female spouse. Because just to be clear, that's what we're looking for in today's day and age. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. As I mentioned a moment ago, Jill Stanick was a registered nurse in the labor and delivery department at Christ Hospital in Oaklawn, Illinois. She discovered that not only abortions were being permitted there to occur, committed, but that the babies were also being aborted alive and left to die without medical care. She's currently the community outreach director for Her Her Plan, a project of the Susan B. Anthony list. Maybe you find yourself, especially with overturning a Roe versus Wade, or always wanting to be more involved in the pro-life community, in pro-life work, helping women and babies. Well, this is your opportunity to figure out where you fit in. Her plan is one way to do that. Joining me now to discuss ways you can get involved in the life-saving work in the pro-life community is Jill Stanek. Welcome to Trending, Jill. Hi, Timory. Glad to be here. It's great to hear your voice again. You and I connected over the last couple weeks for the first time in a while. I remember when I was back in high school, you were running much of your pro-life activism work, especially with your blog, educating so many people to the pro-life issue, testifying before Congress. And now you are in charge of this national strategy called Her Plan, which is a way for all of us to get involved in the pro-life work at our local level. Can you share with me a little bit more about what Her Plan is? Yeah, first of all, I'm not in charge. 
just to clarify, I, I have a position in her plan, um, but her plan is an acronym and it stands for Pregnancy and Life Assistance Network. As you said, it's part of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. We're an educational project. And her plan came about in 2016 when our leadership realized, yeah, Roe v. Wade is on the edge of being overturned. And so they decided they had to make sure that there was a pro-life safety net under pregnant moms um, in that event. So they analyzed where states would stand when Roe was overturned and found that 22 states would either immediately or almost immediately ban all or almost all abortions and that eight states were leaning that way and with um, proper encouragement and help, then they too could become abortion free. So that equals 30 states. And those are the 30 states that her plan will be in by the end of 2023. We're in four states now, two more later this year. Right now we're in Georgia, Mississippi, Virginia, and West Virginia, and we're expanding to Texas and likely Missouri later. And so what we do is, there's actually three parts. We first of all work to make sure that there is a safety net under pregnant and parenting moms in crisis. We've learned that there are seven basic reasons that pregnant moms say that they need abortions. And so we respond to those seven reasons with seven categories of care, of, of ways that churches and assistance providers can serve women in order to um, help them know they do not need abortion for anything, any reason whatsoever. So we start by scouring a state and finding all of the life-affirming assistance providers we can in the state. And not only does this cover seven categories, but 25 subcategories, everything, every, every reason, um, whether she is a 15 year old who's going to get kicked out of the house and needs maternity housing, or she's an opioid addict who needs counseling. She is an illegal alien who needs papers for herself or her baby. Um, she may need childcare. She may need a car. We cover all of that in scouring a state to find life-affirming providers. We are we put them on a map in a directory at herplan.org, and um, we're uh, have posted two of the four states um, life-affirming providers in two of the four states that I mentioned so far. Then the other half of what we do is where I get involved. And that is connecting churches to these life-affirming assistance providers that we find or encouraging churches to um, get involved in their own life-affirming direct assistance. And we um, give churches ideas in what we call the Pathways to Life Guide. And that can be found at herplan.org. It can be downloaded and printed. And in that guide, we have over 100 different ideas, ways that churches can become involved in life-affirming work from very basic ideas. In fact, we have them divided. Basic ideas, entry-level life-affirming work, and more advanced ideas. And we also include a section on 
educating one's parish on um, different aspects of pro-life. That's the second thing that we do. Then the third thing that we do is once we've mapped out all of these assistance providers will likely find gaps. For instance, the state of West Virginia is has a very high opioid addiction rate, probably the highest in the country. And yet when we scoured the state, we found only one counseling service that specifically dealt with pregnant opioid addicts. And so there, that's a gap. There's a need in West Virginia for um, um, counselors who treat this special group of women. And so we will encourage um, churches and life assistance providers in that state to open up, get together and figure out a way to get more um, counseling in their area. That's, that's just one example. Fantastic. So that's the third thing that we do. Excellent. And so much of what you're doing is helping, I think, on a very individual level, can allow people to find their place and where they might fit into this. So you could be someone, a working business professional who might be able to meet a need here. You could be you know, just someone in the community who wants to help women with resources, finding resources. And this is a gap that we are seeing, as you mentioned, Susan B. Anthony List was very intentional with recognizing, especially in states where abortion access was decreasing, we need to continue to give ongoing support to women, especially in the cases where many more women will be facing unplanned pregnancies or maybe unwanted or unintended babies, and they need help. They need guidance through that. One of the things, Jill, that I would love to do as we're talking about her plan, because I think it's so important for people to see how what her plan is doing, and really this also works side by side with our crisis pregnancy centers, what her plan, our crisis pregnancy centers, what they are doing to meet those seven and abortion triggers that you lay out. If we can walk through that um, through them, the first one that you mentioned that is a trigger for women to seek after an abortion is that she has no plan. And so can you talk about where her plan fills in that gap for the woman who's in crisis, doesn't know what she's going to do, maybe she was considering having an abortion, is seeking out that abortion, and it's because of that lack of plan that is driving her in that direction. Right. Um we find that most often pregnant moms in need say that if they just had one person supporting them, one person who said you can do this and help them find a way, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have gotten an abortion. And that's a message, as you just indicated, Timory, for everybody, not just pastors in a church. That's a message for high school kids who are listening right now or um even parents whose daughters may become pregnant and you you want to make sure that you affirm them and and um give them good counsel that they can do this so the first category is mentorship like you said when sometimes when pregnant moms find out they're they're pregnant um it's like deer in the headlights um and you and i are both from uh, the northwest you know, the, the Midwest. And so we have, we have to watch out for deer all the time. And I've seen deers just staring at me in the headlights in front of my van. And that's what sometimes these moms do. They don't know they're in shock. And the first thing they think about is I, you know, the abortion clinic down the street. So the mentorship category is where pregnancy help centers shine. Pregnancy mm -hmm. help centers provide 
very good mentorship. They're they're like a gateway, you know, giving moms this is your this is your first stop, and then giving moms um, ways to get it, you know, to get help in other areas. So that's that would be yes, the answer to um, not knowing what to do. And I remember one instance when I was working in the crisis pregnancy centers because I was there for almost six years. And I remember one case where we were contacted by a friend of a young friend of a famous musician's daughter. And this famous musician's daughter uh, was abortion minded. And I remember the friends contacting us saying, you know, we want to get her to you. We'd like you to help give her, you know, help and resources and counsel her through this and help her to choose life. And I bring up this story because it was one of those moments where we remind people when they help to bring people to who are abortion vulnerable to the crisis pregnancy centers that that friend is the first line of mentorship and guidance and they can do just as much and sometimes even far more good than the crisis pregnancy center alone without their help. And so that mentorship category is, you know, due to this lack of mentorship from parents, from friends, from family members, from our community. And that's where her plan is helping to build up that community to fill in that gap. Uh, the second abortion trigger that you mentioned that leads many women to choose abortion is a concern for her own health and well-being. How does her her plan in our crisis pregnancy centers help to bridge that gap? Well, it's not just pregnancy help centers that help in this area, but um, of course it's getting um, mom medical help if she needs it, social services if she needs it. And um, one thing, it wasn't us who discovered this. Um, it was another organization, Vitae, who um, found that sometimes pregnant moms think that they're not going to be themselves if they have a baby, their well-being is invested in the plan that they had for their life, you know, finishing school, getting a job and like, where does a baby fit in? And so one, one area of health and well-being is making sure that they have mental health well-being as well. So yeah, that's pretty self-explanatory. And often some of that health care can be completely free, which brings us to that third abortion trigger, that crisis for many women of I can't afford this. It'll interfere with education, career, that kind of a crisis of the state and life that I'm in. How does her plan help bridge that gap for women? Well, first of all, um, most abortions stem from a mother saying that she can't afford a baby. And so we um, offer ideas for churches and assistance providers to get involved in um, helping her become work ready, help her learn how to put together a resume. A church can offer their copy machine, um, come in and use our computer to put something together. A church can help her get re um, interview clothing. I mean, it, it can be very basic, the kind of finding it, it doesn't necessarily have to be money. It, it can be um, helping them find a way to uh, get to work if they need a car. Um, it can be financial assistance in going to school. It could be a pregnant teenager just isn't going to do well at her high school. And so we help her find a school where she can, you know, go through her pregnancy and, um, you know, still um, maintain a good self-awareness, self-approval. Self so uh, those are just different areas, educational, financial, and work opportunities that um, 
churches. I want to reemphasize here that churches can help in all these areas. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim, one other point, Timothy, Tim, Timory, before we um, go on to the other, is that this moment in time is when the churches are to shine. This is our, this is our, this is our moment. Roe v. Wade is out of the way now. All of the controversy over Roe v. Wade is gone. Now we can get back to what we've always known how to do, what God wants us to do, and that's to help widows and orphans. He says that throughout the Bible. And what we're talking about here are modern-day widows and orphans, um, kids with uh, mm-hmm. out fathers, etc. So um, back to going through the Pathways Guide, which people can find in these seven categories. I want to restress that there are so many ways that churches can get involved in helping these moms in need that they may not even realize it. And so mm-hmm. um, as another aside, we offer a, an, a, a church assessment. If you'd like to take it, uh, go to herplan.org and anybody can take it and just um, kind of discover where your church is at in these seven areas. And it's stretching. You know, whenever you get involved in any type of ministry work, it stretches you, it challenges you. And this might be at first a real challenge for your parish. You know, it might be a challenge for your church, your community, you know, figuring out how to interact this way. I know one of the complaints I've often heard is that within the context of the church, especially the Catholic church, you know, there isn't a community for single parents for single moms and that this is you know something that can be a little bit of a deterrent for some women as they're trying to you know live this life in conformity with choosing life for their child and giving that child the best life and so this is a reminder that we do need to stand up and step forward as churches to engulf these women with the circumstances, with the mentorship, with the relationships that they need uh, to feel confident in this change of life. And I even think of one client we had come into the crisis pregnancy centers, Jill, uh, and she had had, I remember she was, I think, a year or two younger than me. And her story always stood out because I think by the time I was 20 working in the crisis pregnancy center. She was around 19-ish and she had already had two abortions and she had one living baby. And she had been, since having graduated high school, a stripper. It was her means of income. Uh, she was, it was slept around with a lot of different people. And there was this very, very broken woman who you could tell never had mentorship, never had guidance, never had anyone to help her you know, navigate relationships. And I remember two parts of her story that really stood out to me. One was a question that she asked when she said, you know, in intimacy, she no longer felt anything. Like it wasn't anything special to her anymore. And she said, how do I get that back? How do I get that value of intimacy back? And the answer is by honoring it within the context and the God-given intention of one man, one woman marriage, uh, where you're married and you have that lifetime partner. And, you know, I was just so starkly reminded of how this is where our churches need to be there, providing those examples for women like her who never saw this specific type of model in her life that she needed church community but the other thing that stood out to me jill as you're talking about how her plan you can find them at herplan.org how you can get involved in the pro-life community by helping to give resources to women in your local community but you talk about how you know women will often say they'll have they're seeking an abortion because they can't afford you know a child or it's interfering with education career and the same woman who again 19 years old working as a stripper had two abortions and now chose life for one child 
She comes in because she's getting ready. She's trying to get a real job, Jill. A job that is not one that sacrifices her body, soul, her motherhood, everything. And she comes in wearing what she was going to wear to the work interview. And it was one of those moments where she, you just realize she doesn't know any better. Like the clothes that she was wearing were not work interview ready. And you mentioned that we, you help through her plan women to have that coaching, to be interview prepared or to have those career or interview clothes. It's so simple, but if someone's not willing to say it, they don't know and they may not get that job to help them provide for their child that they need to. Yeah, Timory, you've just hit on uh, a couple of super important points. Going back to the, one of the very first things you said about single moms going to church, 67% of single moms do not go to church. They either uh, feel guilty, they feel that they'll be judged, they feel that they um, won't measure up to the other good people who go to a church. But if they don't go to church, their kids don't go to church either. That's a double loss. And so um, we give ideas in our Pathways to Life guide. Again, you can get, you can access it at herplan.org for churches to become um, friendlier to single moms. Uh, little things that churches can do to show single moms that they're welcome, including Bible studies just for single moms. And the other thing that you hit on was that abortion isn't the problem. Abortion is a symptom of a problem. Um, that that precious um, little girl who was a stripper, she was a stripper because she was, you know, didn't have any skills, was totally broke. That was her problem. And so mm -hmm. the abortion industry doesn't care about their problems. They don't, they don't work to solve their problems. They just, they give them the abortion and get their money and they're, they're gone. But the pro-life movement over the course of 50 years has been putting together this wonderful um, network of ways to help moms in so many different areas. And we just now have to um, show them to churches, put them out on paper, um, organize these dots that aren't connected so people can see that we do walk the walk. We don't just talk the talk. Another one of those programs, and by the way, if you're just joining us, that's Jill Stanek. She's here from Her Plan, which is a national strategy and program for you to get involved in the pro-life work to help women and babies in your local community. We're posting a link on social media uh, to herplan.org, as well as to the Pathways of Life Guide, which is a downloadable guide that Jill Stanek was involved in creating to help pregnant moms uh, to parent and to be moms, and how churches, your church, you working with your church can help to bridge that gap to help these women in need in our local communities. Jill, the fourth reason that you mentioned is a trigger for why many women turn to abortion is the need, um, they need material or legal help. Can you explain how her plan helps bridge that gap? Yeah, the, um, the second biggest reason that pregnant moms say they get abortions is because they, they need housing. They don't have a place to live. So we give churches ideas on supporting shelters, maternity homes, opening their own, helping moms with transportation, which can be helping her get a car, or it could be mm -hmm. just getting her oil changed, helping her with food and nutrition, not just getting food, but um, the right foods to eat, because you're right, you know, they, they may not have had a, a good upbringing to know proper nutrition for themselves or their babies. Legal support, clothing, household items, 
baby supplies. These are all included in material or legal support. The church knows what it what it needs to do when it comes to healing the family. We know how to have good families, but are we sticking to what we're called to? And that is living those families and showing that model. That's why I want to come back with Jill Stanek here. And we're going to unpack three more triggers as to why women seek out abortions and how through getting involved in her plan as an individual or especially getting your church involved can help women choose life for their babies and strive as women you're listening to trending with timory here on relevant radio check out herplan.org that's herplan.org i've posted links on social media and tag jill stanick find me at timory that's t-i-m-m-e-r-i-e so what's trending Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Just a little bit. I have exciting news I'm going to share with you in just a little bit here on Trending. Also, it's a feast day of the parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that is St. Anne and St. Joachim. We're going to talk about that prayer, that good old prayer, Dear St. Anne, bring me a man, praying for the intercession of St. Anne to help you in finding a spouse. We'll talk about that in just a moment, so stay with me for some exciting news as well. Roe versus Wade has been overturned, and we hear a lot about the legal battle before us, the individual states, state to state, determining whether or not they'll be a more pro-life state, a pro-abortion state, limiting access to abortion, what that looks like. But not all of us may necessarily be involved in the legal battle, and there's a lot to do with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And one way to get involved, to do something, because I know so many people are saying, so what do we do now, is her plan. Her plan is a incredible plan that came out from Susan B. Anthony List, a project of Susan B. Anthony List. And what we're going to discuss now, we've been walking through this with Jill Stanek, who's a community outreach director for Her Plan, is how you as an individual or working with your parish can help to provide resources and bridge the gap in resources that women need who are abortion vulnerable, who might otherwise not have access to abortion because they're in a more pro-life state, or they're choosing life. And so we're talking about seven abortion triggers that lead women to choose abortion that through her plan, we can help bridge the gap to help women choose life. We've talked about how many women choose abortion because they have no plan. They're concerned for their health and well-being. They're concerned about affordability and interfering with education and career. Or maybe they need material help or legal help. The fifth reason for why women often turn to abortion is due to mental health issues and abusive situations. Jill, can you walk us through how her plan can bridge this gap and helping with the mental health crisis that many women who are in crisis pregnancy situations experience. Yeah, so this section five um, is like the other sections in Pathways to Life Guide in that it has ideas for churches on this particular issue. And in the guide, there are over 100 ideas with links to information. These aren't just, you know, hey, why don't you do this? You know, we've researched and we have um, 
ways for you to fulfill the ideas that we have. And so when you get to recovery and mental health, you're talking about a very serious um, section and that involved a lot of um, a lot of these moms in need have mental health issues. They may uh, be have addiction problems, maybe suicidal, may have intimate partner violence, sexual assault. They may be victims of sex trafficking. They may need counseling. And this also includes abortion recovery and healing um, and gives ideas for, um, well, we, we suggest um, churches looking at support after abortion, which is the name of the organization that is a clearinghouse of over 200 different after abortion Bible studies and groups. So um, that's, that's just a for instance, but a church can get involved. Um, there's all kinds of programs to help churches with recovery, you know, to, to in, um, institute a recovery program for addictions. Of course, um, churches should be interested in sex trafficking and such. So we give churches ideas in this section on how to address these and also how to educate their parishes. And there's just one little unique section in the back of this um, section that is from put together by the USCCB, for instance, on sex trafficking. They put together a list of 16 documentaries and films on this um, topic of sex trafficking in order to educate your parish. And they also have um, a discussion guide with discussion questions. So your parish could host an evening with um, one of these documentaries and enlighten your congregation on um, how the sex trafficking movement has really infiltrated America. And that, that's just one example of a way a church can get involved in this section. That's a Jill Stanick from her plan walking through those seven triggers for why women turn to abortion in ways her plan, a national strategy that you and I can be involved with individually as well as getting our churches involved. And we're walking through these seven abortion triggers. Jill, the sixth one is uh, that women experience an anomaly that is detected in the baby or diagnosis uh, that is concerning. We know that recent research has come out that these genetic uh, in uh, genetic tests are showing up positive, saying that there's something wrong genetically with a baby. And 85% of the time, it's come out that these tests are wrong when they claim they're positive. Yet, there's a huge fear for many women that something is wrong in cases where there isn't, or sometimes there are things that go wrong with children. And the culture, especially the wider medical culture, encourages women to have abortions at the slightest concern of a possibility of a health concern with a child. Can you talk about how her plan helps walk through these predate natal diagnoses? Yeah, this is um, a section that's near and dear to me because, um, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, I worked at a hospital that aborted babies who had um, complications like Down syndrome and held an abortion survivor who had been aborted at 21 and a half weeks uh, because he had Down syndrome. And that's what got me into the, the pro-life movement. But you're right. Um, uh, there are a lot of false positives, but what really, what happens is this is usually a mom carrying a wanted baby 
who in uh, her second trimester ultrasound is told that there's something wrong with the baby. And you're also right that um, medical personnel, social workers, even insurance companies are invested in encouraging these moms to abort their babies, saves money, saves lawsuits. And so we offer disability support organizations in this section of our Pathways Guide, perinatal hospice resources. Um, if, if a mom finds out her baby is likely to die, um, then we have um, ideas to help her through that time and pregnancy and infant loss support as well, ideas. Jill Stanek, your story is one we're going to have to share another day here on the show because it's yeah. so profound. Your experience there as a nurse in, in a Christian hospital is too. Right. Um, and the connection to abortion, I'm really looking forward. We're going to have to have you back soon to have that mm-hmm. conversation because it's uh, especially relevant right now, Jill, with the fact that the current administration, President Biden, is trying to basically turn all emergency rooms, especially in states where abortion access is decreased in places like Texas into abortion clinics for any woman to come into. And so we'll talk about that next time we have you on. But in talking about these seven triggers as to why women are turning to abortion, the seventh reason is so common and common for any person who's having a child. And that is the fear and stress of parenting that either you may be afraid of beforehand or experience once you're already a parent. Uh, How does her plan bridge the gap in helping women in caring for their children or having the skills to care for their children. Yeah, Timory, the fact is that over half of pregnant mothers who abort have already delivered one baby. So these moms know what it's like to have a baby and they fear that they're not going to be able to take care of another child. They think to themselves, if I can't even feed the kids I have or keep the electricity on, how can I take care of another? And so this is a huge need, caring for children. And because abortion is now going to be illegal in so many states, we can logically see that the need for foster care and adoption is also going to rise. And that is included in this section on care for children. There are organizations that a church can plug into that is that have already done the work on um, gathering what churches need to know and their members on how to um, begin foster care, how to become um, adoption ready. And so these, these are part of what's in chapter seven. And again, um, this, if a church is considering anything, they really should consider encouraging their members to um, get involved in foster care or adoption. Mm-hmm. This is providential timing, Jill, because I was just talking to a friend earlier today who has been a foster parent. And I am one of the first people, I'm sure you'd acknowledge this as well, that the foster care system is an absolute disaster. But that doesn't yeah. mean that people of faith and good families 
should ignore it. There are so many children today who are in need uh, as foster foster uh, children. And I was just talking to my friend. She had a newborn baby for six months who she helped to care for um, through the foster care system. And after six months, the parents were doing better. And the parents now have the baby again. But she gets to babysit the baby once a week. And she's helping Aww. to support that family and give that family the support they need. This is done and encouraged, especially it should be done through our churches, Jill. People saying, you know what? You would be a great family. You could foster children. Yeah. These children need help and maybe even helping to educate how you can do that, even within the context of a broken foster care system. Yeah. And, you know, um, you hit on another good point, Timory, and that is that the, the retention rate for foster care families beyond one year is 50 percent. There's a great deal of burnout. And, you know, the, that this, this foster care mom is still babysitting for that baby is a beautiful thing. And churches can support foster care and adoption by more than just encouraging their members to get involved. They can support the helpers. They can support the foster care parents. And if, if churches support foster care and adoptive parents, um, there's much less likelihood that they're going to quit. So, cause it, it is a broken system and there's a lot of heartache and pain involved in taking care of these kids. Mm -hmm. And so a church can offer wraparound support to the foster families too. Jill, thank you so much for what you're doing. This is a program that we need, that we need to know how to get involved in pro-life work. We need to step up and be involved in our communities and challenge our churches to not just say, hey, we're pro-life, but we're going to act pro-life, not just hold signs, you know, not just encourage people to pray, which is so important. I'm not criticizing anyone who prays or holds signs, but I'm saying we need to get in and get our hands dirty and help do that work that really does help women. And we can't just say, hey, it's going to be our crisis pregnancy center. We need to know where our crisis pregnancy centers are and turn to them. But through Her Plan, you can find them at herplan.org are ways you can help build this pro-life community. You can help women in need and especially how you can work with your church to get more active. Pathways of Life is a downloadable guide for churches to help pregnant moms and their babies. We posted links on social media as well as in the podcast notes for today's show. Be sure to subscribe at relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever Wherever you catch your podcast, can check out Jill on social media. We've tagged her on Twitter, but again, check out herplan.org. I'll be back in just a few moments to share some exciting news with you, as well as to talk about St. Anne and praying for spouses today on her feast day. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I have some exciting news with you. I'll share with you in just a moment. Before I do, it is the feast day of St. Anne and St. Joachim. Those are the parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of God, mother of Jesus Christ, the wife of St. Joseph. Now, if you don't know much about St. Anne and St. Joachim, I'd love to unpack more of their story. But what I would like to focus on right now is a time-old tradition of praying to St. Anne for her intercession for a number of things. One, the as the story goes of St. Anne and St. Joachim, 
Uh, St. Anne and St. Joachim were parents that had a child later in life had struggled with fertility. And so I always think of St. Anne, as the tradition goes, as someone we can pray to for her intercession for anyone who might be struggling to have a child. But also St. Anne is known as a saint to pray to for intercession and finding a spouse. You may have heard that age-old prayer, Dear St. Anne, bring me a man. Now, don't worry, gentlemen, you can pray for her intercession session as well. I remember actually when I was in college, one of my dear friends actually named Mary, Mary and I would pray many prayers, you know, for our vocations and what we were doing. And of course, being emotional college students wanting to be married, we often pray a lot of the novenas for our spouses, our future spouse, to find a spouse. And praying to St. Anne was one of those prayers we'd often turn to. In fact, again, you don't have to just pray to St. Anne for a spouse, but maybe even just for waiting, waiting a long time for something. You know, St. Anne and St. Joachim, as the tradition of the story goes, waited a long time for the gift of a child, for the gift of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So maybe you were in a season of life where you were waiting and waiting for something. You need the intercession of the saints to help in calming your nerves and calming your desires, uh, trusting in the will and providence of God, but also praying for the intercession for that particular petition. So we're going to post a link to the St. Anne Novena. You don't have to pray at the perfect time. Often we have saints novenas, intercession to saints that people will pray leading up to their feast day, but that doesn't mean you can't pray at any time of the year. So I do want to post a link. We'll post a link in just a moment. Follow me on social media at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And I'll post a link to the St. Anne Novena. But again, if you're single or you know someone who is, Maybe consider uh, encouraging them to pray for the intercession of St. Anne. I've been teasing it since yesterday, sharing with you that I have some exciting news to share with you. A few months ago, it was just days actually before Easter. This is actually the second time. It was a Wednesday of Holy Week. Uh, my husband and I found out that we're actually expecting another baby. Our second baby is... I shouldn't say expecting. Our second baby is here, but not due uh, for a birthday until December. I know everyone might be laughing, wondering if they're counting. Wait, wasn't your first child due in December? Yes, indeed. Uh, my little girl is a year and a half, and she was born in December. And ironically enough, you know, sometimes due dates float. My due date is actually the same again on her birthday. Uh, so must be something about finding out that we're expecting a baby. On Wednesday of Holy Weeks, again, this is the second time we found out we were expecting a baby on Wednesday of Holy Week, and second time possibly we might have a December 20th baby. We are so excited and so grateful, and I've been really, really excited to share the news uh, with so many who have been, I know, spent time praying for me and for my husband and for our journey. If you don't know, I've shared it before and there's a link to it on my Instagram, uh, in my Instagram bio and we'll post a link online as well. I've actually shared a little bit of my fertility story and I want to just share a little bit of it now again and we'll talk about more of it in the weeks to come and days to come as well because I know that fertility is a huge struggle in our modern day culture. We could get into a lot of the causes for infertility or fertility struggles. 
Uh, but I am so grateful and so blessed. I, I've shared before that I have uh, Hashimoto's disease, which is a hyperactive thyroid disease, as well as polycystic ovarian syndrome and run extremely low on progesterone, which you need good amount of progesterone in order to conceive a baby and sustain pregnancy, sustain keeping that baby right where the baby needs to be. And when we were, you know, hopeful about having a baby, I'd been told for years, even before I got married, that it was going to be difficult for me. And when we finally had diagnosis of what was going on with my autoimmune disorders, which I didn't find out exactly what was happening until, uh, until after actually we got married, um, we, you know, knew that with Hashimoto's disease that your body can attack a baby and put you at high risk for miscarriage. And with polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, that it would just be harder to conceive a baby. So we had kind of two things going against us in addition to tons of food allergies. At one point, I had over 30 food allergies and was really struggling through that. Now it's down to about five after, you know, I've gone through a lot of healing and change of lifestyle. And I am just so grateful because although everything from NAPRO technology, which you know I'm a huge advocate for, if you don't know what NAPRO technology, it stands for natural procreation. And it's a uh, school of medicine that people are proficient in, people such as Dr. Susan Caldwell and others who have been regular guests here, Teresa Kenny and others, uh, or practice. And it helps women to treat underlying health causes that are impacting fertility. It's real answers to our health issues as women rather than putting a band-aid of contraception uh, or any other medication that doesn't help fix the problem uh, but sometimes can make it worse and I was told for years by multiple doctors oh you know you should just try taking birth control that'll help with some of your issues and thankfully I knew about the negative side effects of hormonal birth control and said no thank you politely and sometimes schooled them on why they shouldn't be using hormonal birth control. But our NAPRO uh, technology uh, physicians were a huge help in my journey. We had been seeing a NAPRO physician for about, mm, I think about nine months by the time I was able to conceive our baby, our first baby. And then we also, I remember probably about two, three weeks before um, we were able to get pregnant with our first baby girl, we had the priest who married us over for dinner and we're all sitting there talking and he brings up, you know, what's going on? Why haven't you had you know children yet? You know, very respectfully, not aggressively or anything or rudely, because I know sometimes, especially if you've, you know, waited to have a child or known that fertility might be an issue. Uh, people can be really rude with what they say. And I'd heard a lot of rude things said to me about uh, children, especially, you know, things I remember one uh, family member, extended family member said, you know, I just hope that, you know, whatever's wrong with you is fixed so you can just have babies. And they said it just very aggressively, like as if I was the problem. And I know so often women who struggle with fertility think that, well, I'm the problem. They blame themselves and they get down on themselves. And the things people say are just so rude. Well, anyways, uh, the priest that married us was over at our home and he was asking, you know, gently and respectfully what was going on. I shared with him about my struggle with Hashimoto's disease and polycystic ovarian syndrome and that we were hopeful uh, to have a child, but we're really at peace as well with God's will that, you know, we didn't have 
I didn't have any anxiety and I didn't have baby fever, although my husband definitely had some baby fever uh, for sure. And all of a sudden, I remember father saying, I'll be right back. And I said, oh, okay. Like I just shared something kind of serious with him. Thankfully, I'm in a good you know, mental state that I'm not really you know, upset or perturbed by the situation. And he comes back and he brings, you know, this bag with him and he says, okay, are you ready? I'm going to give you anointing of the sick. And I remember I was absolutely flabbergasted because so often we think of anointing of the sick for someone who's on their deathbed or about to go through a major, uh, possibly a life-threatening surgery. And my producer just said, of course you don't, didn't have baby fever. You don't even like kids. I, I like my child and I like well-behaved children. Uh, but yeah, I'm not a fan of poorly behaved children. Anyways, I digress. I'm getting distracted over here. So father comes back with a, a bag and he says, okay, are you prepared? I'm going to give you anointing of the sick. And again, you know, we think of anointing of the sick for someone who's on their deathbed or you know, about to go through something life-threatening. And you know, out of respect and obedience for Father, I wasn't going to deny him um, him giving me the sacrament. But I kept thinking, really, me? You know, I, I in my mind, I kind of my initial reaction was, I'm just having a difficult time having a baby. But then, as I had time over the weeks and months after that, I was able to realize it's not just having a baby like that's part of what we're created for as human beings is to procreate it's the one of the first things god says to adam and eve to the first human beings and we learn about human anthropology by reading the genesis of the human person by reading genesis chapter one and two and he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. This is written into our bodies. It's what our bodies are made for. And so naturally, if there's a difficulty in having a child, you know, something is occurring that's stymieing, that's getting in the way of having children. And so I received anointing of the sick that day. And I can tell you, even to this day, I ponder, you know, what's the significance of receiving that sacrament? Uh, well, my story is within a couple weeks, we conceived our baby girl, we, I received anointing of the sick and we were praying a novena to St. Joseph and praying for a baby and peace and God's will was part of that leading up to his feast day. And you do the math and call my first baby girl, um, our St. Joseph baby, born on December 20th. Uh, but I received anointing of the sick and I can tell you so much of my story. God is so good between working with our NAPRO physicians, working with healthy eating, uh, receiving anointing of the sick. My polycystic ovarian syndrome is uh, dormant, not active. Uh, we've reversed it and I'm not having signs of it right now because of healthy eating and good supplementation. And my Hashimoto's disease uh, is has is not active right now. And so this second baby is cooking. We're so excited uh, to meet our second baby due in December. Ask for prayers. I do struggle with low progesterone, but praise God for our NAPRO physicians. So they've been really helping over the last few months to keep my progesterone levels up because I was uh, kind of on the verge of struggling with a potential miscarriage. But praise God, again, NAPRO physicians help people to get pregnant and help people to sustain their pregnancies, especially when they have underlying health issues like I have had uh, that makes 
baby's a little difficult. And so we're going to post a link on social media to our napper physicians just as a link. And I also encourage people, you know, if you are working through your fertility journey to prayerfully consider and reach out to your pastor about possibly receiving the anointing of the sick. Remember, God truly does do miracles and so much of salvation history has to do with miraculous births of women who otherwise thought they wouldn't have children. This is Tim Murray from Trending with Tim Murray, our weekly gentleman's hour. I'm going to be joined on Wednesday by Sal Stefano. We're going to talk about fitting fitness into your life as a father, husband, and professional. Sal has the internationally most famous fitness podcast around, written a number of books. We're also going to talk about staying active even when you aren't getting a workout in. So join me Wednesday for our weekly gentleman's hour, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.